say just a toy story or a four in a box. These are the stories of action, toy glory, and work clocking. SH figure arts, black series are hot toys. And figures with transformation sequences that make noise. Check out the joints and the many points of articulation. We're celebrating the global collector nation. Sit back, relax, and get ready to rock this. Here's the real chow. All Welcome right. Well, I am so honored to have my next guest on Shelf Conscious. He is one of my favorite toy YouTubers on the internet. Please welcome Cincy Nerd himself. Hey, thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. No, I appreciate you, man. I, I, I like I was telling you before we started recording. I'm a huge fan. I, when I found out you, you and I are from the same part of the country, I was like, oh, I need to talk to him because I just want to talk about like what it was like growing up in Virginia. We yeah. probably went to the same toy stores because I remember there was like Toys R Us in Northern Virginia. I used to go to all the time. That there I bet was. you did when you were a kid. So. Yeah, welcome to the show, and thanks for thanks for being on. Thanks for having me. I'm a little intimidated right now because I saw who the previous guest that you had was on this show, and I have to follow in the footsteps of the absolute legend known as Larry Hamo. So I'm just like blown away that I'm the next guest after Larry Hamo. <laughs> yeah, he was he was the opening act for Cincy Nerd. Yeah, <laughs> that's crazy. <laughs> Before we started recording, we were talking about the uh, the Hasbro uh, Joe uh, show. What's that officially called? The Fan Fest, I think? Yeah, it was Fan First Friday, as Hasbro's want to do. And and today was like the beginning of Yojo June, I guess is what they're calling it. Yeah. And I saw Larry Hama on there at the end when he was talking about the movie, the Snake Eyes movie, which I'm very, very excited for. Same. And uh, I saw Larry Hama on there. I'm like, oh, no, I'm following the footsteps (laughs) of Larry Hama. So then I got the, uh, the anxiety again. But not at all. I'm glad to be here. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Of course. Actually, to be honest, I'm a little I was a little more nervous talking to you than I was talking to Larry Hama because I've known Larry for a while now. And so like to him, yeah. it was just like talking to my dad. But but like <laughs> I've been a fan of yours. We were talking about this before we started recording is that yeah. I've been following you on YouTube for a couple of years now. And, and, you know, you're one of the <laughs> the people I watch before I fall asleep at night because I'm, I'm checking out the, the live stream that I missed that you record during the day or whatever. Nice. And, and it's like. You know, my, my wife was always like, what are you, are you watching people going shopping for? <laughs> like, <laughs> I don't know. There's something like, like calming about watching people's toy hunts. So tell me about how that started. How did you get started, you know, not collecting, but like mm-hmm. wanting to like film yourself collecting? So it started in like 2015. I was living in Cincinnati and uh, every week I had to drive 100 miles to Columbus, Ohio, because my office that I work for, I do have a, a like a regular day job. It's a, <laughs> I do work in video production, actually. And uh, I had a studio up in Columbus. So I would drive from Cincinnati on the long hour and a half plus drive 100 miles to Columbus. And because it was such a long drive, I would try and they would try and get as much time out of me as they could while I was in the office. So I would usually stay for at least one day or two days, uh, one overnight. So during that overnight, since I was away from home, I didn't really have anything to do. So I would either go to the movies, I would go to Toys R Us, which was still open at the time, (laughs) or I would just sit in the hotel room and like watch YouTube. And at the time I was watching a few channels, but there was a few guys that I watched. I was watching Shardimus Prime. I was watching P2 Vision. I was watching Seha Man. And Seha Man and P2 Vision were doing actual like toy hunts. They were recording themselves going on toy hunts which is what I used to do, but I just wasn't recording myself. I was going on the same toy hunts they were going on. So it was, it was kind of cool to see what they were finding in their stores. And sometimes I would see, oh, that actually started showing up at the store. I need to get to the store. So that's why I started watching them. I appreciated their personalities, their character. And I figured, why not me? Why can't I do this? I have all this extra time on these overnights. I'm not doing anything. I'm sitting in a hotel room. 
I should go right from work to Toys R Us, see what they have, maybe buy something, then go back to the hotel room. I have all this extra time. Why not record what I'm seeing and share it with everyone out there? Because say how man's out in California, P2 Vision was in Florida. There wasn't really like a representation in Ohio that I was watching. So I was like, maybe I could be that person to show everyone, hey, here's what I'm finding in the stores. Maybe go out and get it if you're looking for it too. So that's kind of how it all started is I just became a fan of watching YouTube channels decided to do it myself and just it kind of grew from there. That's the thing about YouTube. It almost kind of democratizes the ability to like make a show, right? You don't have to wait for some studio to say, hey, Cincy, would you like to record a show, right? Like you have an iPhone, you're in video production and and I'm sure like, you know, there's a whole other level of like production, but like the iPhone and YouTube has made it easier for anyone with, and then Zoom, now you can interview people from all over the country, right? Like you can do these things and there's no barrier to get into it. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I use like a a nice camera camera for my work stuff, but honestly, I think the iPhone actually records better video. (laughs) Hopefully my company doesn't hear this and realize we just wasted some money on this video camera, but I think the iPhone records better video. You you can record in 4k now. It's, it's just beautiful video, beautiful audio. That's what I use when I'm recording, when I'm recording my actual videos here, and I'm doing like my hauls when I'm not using this Logitech for the live streams. I'm using my iPhone. A lot of people don't realize that, but it takes beautiful videos. So I would definitely recommend, you know, if, if you were like, if you're thinking about, you know what, I w- I've always wanted to start a YouTube channel and, and do something like that, but I don't really have a good camera. Do you have an iPhone? Yes, I do. Well, then you have a good camera. So go ahead. <laughs> go, right. go for it. Yeah, no, I, I think that's absolutely right. But I, I think for me, mm-hmm. it's that kind of like, relatability to your point like when I, when I watch folks go on toy hunt it's like I do that too right like every morning before right. work you know you head down to the target you head down to the Walmart just see what they have and and in fact it's like it does feel sometimes I wonder what your process is like every time you go do you bring a camera with you just in case because you know if you're like me you probably do the toy hunt pretty regularly and it's always empty right like it's always kind of like oh it's mm-hmm. the same it's the same five figures on the pegs and you're probably like not wanting to record that. But what if like you, you stumble down an aisle and oh, holy shit, there's a, oh, we can curse on this podcast, by the way, just oh, okay, so you cool. know, <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to say frick or whatever, unless you want to. <laughs> but like, you know, he's like, holy frick, I, there's a, there's a firefly, right? Yeah. Like that's the kind of thing. It's like, I compare it to like Robert Irwin or something, right? Like you want to yeah. see the, the animal in the wild. Like, do you bring the camera every time and then just decide when I'm going to actually put it on YouTube? So if anyone ever runs into me when I walk into a Target or Walmart, I'm usually like this. I'm holding the camera like this, ready to record if I see something. Usually when I'm like looking for something very, very specific and I've heard that something has hit the area, like let's just use for example, and this will probably be a sore subject for a lot of people, Target exclusives, G.I. Joe classified. (laughs) If I hear that Firefly or Major Blood has hit the area, I will literally have my camera out ready to record and show people what, what I'm finding. Same thing for like the Star Wars, Black Series, Clone Wars figures. I did the same thing, ready to record. But a lot of times, if I'm just going in blind, if I dropped off my kid at like cheer or gymnastics or something, and there's a nearby Target or Walmart, and I haven't like heard of anything hitting, I'll have my phone in my pocket. And if I see something, all right, this is something to record. So that's kind of how it works. And did you like have, I know you said, I think on a recent 
video that you put out. And it's again, I'm this is my bona fides. I'm proving that I'm a fan and I'm a, I'm a viewer. <laughs> you had said something like you don't like to record in game stops because you have there is like a self conscious. You know, this the show is called shelf conscious. There is a mm-hmm. self consciousness about recording in the in the game stop just because it's small and then like could be a the cashier is basically like watching you record. What did it take for you to kind of get over that when you're walking down like the target aisle or or was it pretty like did it come pretty naturally like whip out the phone and start recording yourself? Well, one of the things that I always kind of did with my hunt videos is I played music during the actual thing because I am a little self-conscious about talking to myself when I'm by myself. <laughs> so when I go into a Target or a Walmart, if I'm solo, running solo by myself, and I'm like, you know, oh, here's what we have right here. And then someone is, I notice someone walking down the aisle, I'm like, all right, this is going to be awkward. I'm going to stop until they go by. <laughs> But the thing Unless is, that guy's like, hey, it's Cincy Nerd. Can I be on camera too? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but if I have like one of my daughters with me, I have no problems whatsoever recording or talking to the camera because there's someone else with me. Right. I don't know what it is. It's just a mental thing. But the same thing goes for GameStop. Usually when I go to GameStop, since it's a smaller store, a lot of times it's just me and the employee working there. And it just feels so weird doing <laughs> it. So a lot of times I'll just like stealthily pull out my camera and record and then stop nothing going on here <laughs> and uh and then i'll like throw music over it so i don't have to actually like yeah right, you know, right. talk about what's going on or what i'm seeing and especially i think that's smart in target because there's always like they're playing some like pop music in the background that i'm sure will will, will show up uh, on the copyright strike if you put it that up too, on youtube yeah. right like exactly you you and i think we said this before we started recording you and i are probably roughly around the same age so like mm-hmm. came of age in the early 80s and early 90s in terms of like the types of franchises you like the toys you you bought when did you decide i'm going to be an adult toy collector was there like a period where you had like given it up and then came back to it or like i've seen your retro collection so you have Mm -hmm. like a lot of really awesome retro toys so are a lot of those like from childhood or are those like buying back what you had gotten rid of as an adult? A lot of those are repurchases because I've literally been collecting since 1980, as long as I can remember. It, it, when Empire Strikes Back first came out, I was like, mom, I want to buy some of these these toys, some of these action figures. So, and, and it's just been an ongoing process ever since. I've been collecting nonstop. The collection, because I, I can't keep everything because my house would literally explode with action figures. I have to cycle things out. I have to get rid of things that no, I no longer have like that passion for so that I can acquire the funds to purchase new things because I still have not perfected that money printing machine that I'm working on. So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I constantly like cycle out the collection so I can buy bigger and better and whatnot or stuff that I just have a passion for. I think I realized I wanted to be an adult collector when I was, and I wasn't even an adult yet, really. I was like 16 or 17 years old. I wasn't the most popular person in high school because I worked at a comic book store. I had like three jobs. I was like, I was like a worker bee. I, I would go to school, have a few friends. I think I had maybe four or five friends total. And then after school ended, that's when my actual time to shine started. And I would actually go work like three jobs to earn money. I was I was basically like trying to be an entrepreneur as a teenager in high school. <laughs> if only they had YouTube back then, right? Exactly. Yeah. So um, I actually worked at like a wine store. That's where I made most of my money. And then I also worked part time at a comic book store. And I would actually work for store credit. They they didn't pay me any money, but I would work for store credit, acquire product. And with that product that I was buying, I would actually set up at shows and be a vendor. So that's how I was making like the bulk of my money is it was I was offering to work for free at these stores 
for free where they would actually just pay me in store credit and then buy stuff so that I could sell stuff. So I was, I was kind of like a, not a flipper, like not an <laughs> early flipper, but I, I was literally just buying stuff to make money. And this was in the nineties. So this was like before or probably right or right around the big comic book bust, right? Like oh, you were, dude. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm very thankful that I was born when I was born because I literally got my driver's license in 1991 and of course, what happened in 1991, you had X-Men number one, you had image forming, you had Spawn, you had Wildcats, Wetworks, all of those big comic books. That was like the boom of comic books. So I could, because I got my license in 91, I could actually drive my car to a comic book store, drive myself, not have to ask my mom or my dad to drive me. <laughs> and I could buy all that stuff that I really wanted. So it was, it was the perfect time. I couldn't ask for anything more. Sometimes I complain that I'm old and my back hurts, but still... I could not have been born at a better time. I'm so happy and thankful that I was a, a product of the 80s, an 80s kid. Yeah. So. Well, it's funny, too, because, like, it's the 80s stuff that we, you and I are, I mean, you can see behind me, like, it's oh, all yeah. the 80s stuff that is coming back. You know, we are the the core kind of fan base and collective market for Hasbro. And uh, I guess Mattel doesn't really do do much anymore. But, like, you know, McFarlane yeah. and all the, all the toys that they're putting out is, is really, really just, like, how can we make the stuff from the 80s? cool and modern and that's i mean that's the rabbit holes i've fallen through like the last couple of years or with the you mentioned class we'll talk about classified because mm-hmm. we just came off of uh the classified the gi joe live stream so yes there's that there's the you can see all of the, like the transformers and the, even black series it's like what if we made those star wars toys but like cool right like articulated mm-hmm. and and like perfect likenesses and everything like that so we are definitely the core market i wonder you know i talked about this in a previous episode like what are our kids going to have nostalgia for 30 years from now, right? Because I have like... no idea. Yeah, my, my daughters, are, they're into like Barbie and whatnot. But like, I don't know. They're just like, a, it, it's a TikTok generation. It's a YouTube generation. They, they collect these things called fidgets now, which are basically cheap little toys, like little freaking, <laughs> I don't even know what they are. They're like, they're like things that just make you... I can't even explain them. That's how it's like that's the how, fidget spinner or is it different from yeah, the fidget it's, spinner? It's kind of like that, but it just, it takes your time to do. It's like my daughter, Tete, she actually bought, it's called a, a simple dimple. And I'm like, what the frick is a simple <laughs> dimple? And it's literally this little piece of plastic with two rubber things that you push a button on. You push it, it makes a popping sound. You turn it over, you push it, it makes a popping sound. And I'm like, what the hell's the point of that? So 30 years from now when, you know, Hasbro makes some like classified version of the fidget spinner, that's what yeah. they'll be collecting. Yeah. So I guess you never went through that phase where like, I'm not going to be buying this anymore, you know, and then having to come back to it later. That I'm That's fortunate because I've told the story about how like as a teenager, mm-hmm. you know, we had a yard sale and mom put like literally all of the masters of the universe figures that i had in a box and sold it for a hundred dollars oh, it was like mm-hmm. literally all of it castle gray skull snake mountain every vehicle i had like pretty much everything from 82 to probably like 86 oh. and, <laughs> and it's all so tragic for like a hundred bucks like at, yeah. at the time it was like wow a hundred dollars me i didn't care because like i'm too old for this anyway and and then like now i, I always tell my mom that you know that box you sold for a hundred dollars you could probably get like 10 times that now, right. you know what I mean? Yeah. But you never had that moment. Well, I mean, there was a phase when video games started coming up, like when uh, NES came out, because I was, I mean, I grew up with like Atari, so I saw how crappy those games were. <laughs> but like when NES came out, 
all the kids kind of shifted because we were at that age too. And it was like 87, I think, NES, Sega Master System. We just kind of shifted. We were turning into preteens and we were all toy collectors. And then we were like, oh, these video games are pretty cool. And we kind of mm-hmm. shifted to video games. And at the same time, I think there was that same situation where my mom sold all my old toys. But at the same time, I think I kind of kept a few. I'm like, I don't want to sell this one. I'm going to keep this one. And I put Mm -hmm. it aside. I don't want to sell this one. So I've always been a toy collector, even through the points where I've lost. I haven't, I wasn't a hundred percent invested in toys because I was, I was invested in video games or I was invested in comic books because the video games and comic books kind of came at the same time for me. But it's always been something, and I've always had some kind of collection of toys, no matter what. Even in the days where I was like in my young twenties, and I was I was really just trying to, you know, I was I was kind of hunting for for females <laughs> with, the, so with, the, with the camera walking around. Like that's rare. Let's go over there. No. Chase Varian over there. <laughs> so uh, I would actually uh, I had a collection, but I kept it in my closet. Mm. And I, I kept it all in a closet. So if I had some company, then they wouldn't see them out. <laughs> There's actually a funny story. My my wife now, Mrs. Cincy, she did not know that I was a toy collector until something spilled in my apartment and we needed the vacuum. And the vacuum was in the same closet that my toy collection was in. And she stumbled upon it and she was like, what All the is boxes it? just tumbled out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but no, I had like the walls were just like all action <laughs> figures from ceiling to bottom. And she was like, what is going on here? <laughs> so that was like the moment where I'm like, oh, I didn't tell you this, but I'm kind of a collector. <laughs> right. Well, and then now, right? Like she, she's featured in your videos sometimes. So that's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. Full circle. Yep. What were the lines that you were into like as a kid? Because I mentioned, you know, I had Masters of the Universe, you know, G.I. Joe. Those are pretty much like everyone our age had those and Star Wars. But what was your like go-to mm-hmm. action figure line in the 80s and then in the 90s? Since you've been doing it every decade. What was your go-to yeah. line in the 80s, in the 90s, the 2000s, the 2000s? Jesus, those are so many decades. The 2010s <laughs> and now, I guess. Let's just go each decade. Yeah, the, my, my definite go-to in the 80s was G.I. Joe. That was my thing. I was into everything else. But the thing was, is all of my friends growing up collected a different line. It's kind of funny how it all worked out. So I had a friend named Nick, and he had a huge, huge collection of Transformers. So we would go to each other's houses. I'd have all the Joes. He'd have the Transformers. So I didn't really ask for a lot of Transformers because I could always go to Nick's house and he'd have Uh, all the Transformers. My best friend Jason was a huge collector of like He-Man and Masters of the Universe. So I didn't really ask for a lot of He-Man stuff because he had that stuff. So it was kind of funny how we used like our friend base to kind of have a larger collection than what we personally had because we were always playing with the other toys that the other kids had. Right. But Joe's, I was like the Joe guy. That was what I always asked for. That was what I was into. Partly because my dad was in the military. My dad was in the Air Force. He was a captain in the Air Force. He was never a pilot. I actually found out, not recently, but like I didn't know what he actually did in, in the military, but I found out he was kind of like covert. Oh, well, that's that's why you didn't know. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, holy crap, this is crazy. It's not like a movie like True Lies where you're finding out that your dad owner Schwarzenegger, Schwarzenegger right, right. is like a special agent. I'm like, what is going on here? But like when I first met my wife, we were having dinner with my dad. And that was when he revealed what he actually did for the military. I'm like, this is nuts. Your dad was G.I. Joe, basically. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I always I always equated my dad to Wild Bill because my dad in the 80s had this mustache and my dad's name is Bill. So, and 
and he was in the Air Force and Wild Bill was the helicopter chopper. So he flew things. But I was like, that's my dad right there. Wild Bill. <laughs> that's cool. Yeah. But my brother also served in the military. He was in the Air Force. He was in the military for 20 plus years. So that's why I kind of had like a thing for G.I. Joe's. Also, I wanted to be an astronaut because of Star Wars. I wanted to go out into space. <laughs> so like my backup to G.I. Joe's was Starcom because it all, obviously all the like spaceships and space exploration, all that stuff. So yes, I collected Star Wars. Yes, I collected like masks and stuff, but like G.I. Joe's and Starcoms were what really like drew my attention whenever I went to a store. Right. So when you think 80s, those are the two the two lines that, that yeah. come to mind. Yep. What about the 90s? Because for me... I, you know, I had my little like breakup with toys in the, in the late eighties. I'm like, I'm a couple years younger than you. Unfortunately, I had a younger brother. I don't know if your brother's older. I think your brother's older than you. He's eight years older. Yeah. Yeah. So that, so this is, I have a seven year difference with my younger brother. So the, the mm. fortunate thing is in the mid nineties, I won't even say in the mid nineties, like Batman, Batman returns, Batman forever. Like I wasn't buying those toys. Mm-hmm. But my brother was. So I would happily walk my brother down the uh, the toy aisle. So I think I was like, I think I had a overt like shame about toys. But in my mind, I was so like, oh, yeah, let me let's let's check out this Batmobile. <laughs> because because, you know, I, I still I always loved it. And, and I never, you know, I think it took me until my 20s when I was like, I'm going to come out as a toy collector and yeah. not be ashamed of it anymore. But, I, you know, for me, the 90s is when I kind of went through that. I had my little brother that I could kind of pretend I was shopping for him and not me and then Mm -hmm. by the time kenner came back with star wars i think what was that 93 was that when the power of the force came out oh it was like 95 95 95 that's right it was i was i was a senior in high school and by 95 batman forever had come out and i was all in like i was like i'm gonna buy all the batman forever stuff i really wanted the bat cave that came out with batman forever Mm -hmm. do you remember that it was this massive bat cave was- I do not remember the Batcave, no. In in the in the 90s, I think I was into really into like the McFarlane toys. Cause mm. like that's when he launched his toy line, and I was really, really into spawn. Yeah. And they were those were like those were kind of game changers. Yes, they were kind of statuesque. They didn't really have good articulation, but sculpting. at that point, he was bringing something to the game that we had never seen before, and that was sculpt. Yeah. We had never seen sculpt that crazy before with that spawn line. So I was really into those. Obviously I was in a Ninja Turtles too. Ninja Turtles kind of came out in the late eighties, but it kind of bled over into the nineties. And I was really into Ninja Turtles spawn. And of course, Batman, because 89 Batman is one of my favorite movies of all time. So I was collecting those. And then in the late nineties, that's when Marvel legends, I think toy biz, Marvel legends started coming out. And that's what I was getting into at at that time. So the nineties was kind of like a whole transitional period. It's, it almost seems like two decades. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Because it's right. It was the tail end of the 80s, right? So you still yeah. had some holdovers. You know, they like there were still like some weird G.I. Joe's coming out in the in the early 90s. I think is that when the Ninja Force came out or was that like late yeah. 80s, right? Like there's I that, think like, that the, was like 91, 92 Yeah, like the Pink Joe's, and then there was like the Sigma Six stuff where, where like I was like, okay, this is <laughs> I'm done with G.I. Joe. But but the 90s, for me, the 90s was very much dominated by like Batman because like I said, there was the Batman. When Kenner took over the license from Toy Biz, yeah. I was all in on that too. So like, but again, for the first half, it was like pretending it were for my brother, mm-hmm. and then by the latter half of the night, he's like, "No, this is all mine, dude." <laughs> like my brother's <laughs> like, "Hey, wait, no, like I bought this for me because I yeah. still some of those toys I still have. I, I'm looking at I have a shelf full of uh, Batmobiles, and I have the Forever Batmobile from '95. I have the Dark Knight Collection Batmobile '89. Like mm-hmm. I still have like nice. 
a bunch of my Batmobiles. And I'm, like you, like there were even when I went through the phase of like I hate toys, I don't want them anymore. I was like, well, let me keep the superpowers Batmobile because I know <laughs> something in my gut tells me this is going to be something that's sentimental to me for the rest yeah, yeah. of my life. Yeah. So exactly. I still have that. I have that from 1984. Nice. So I have a few toys that are still like you know. From my childhood. That's cool. What about the 2000s then? So you moved from, like, you got the, I mean, the 2010s, because you went into Toy Biz Marvel Legends. Mm-hmm. Did you get into, like, the prequel stuff from Star Wars, or were you was that a while before you got back into Star Wars? So, like, early 2000s, I was really into wrestling figures, because mm-hmm. I had rediscovered wrestling. That was, that was, like, right after the Attitude Era. Exactly, yeah. Attitude Era and, like, the end of the whole WCW thing. Uh, Goldberg brought me back <laughs> to wrestling. Just seeing Goldberg, I'm like, who is this big dude that just walks out, kicks ass, and then leaves? This dude's a badass. <laughs> I want to watch this guy. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I started watching WCW again, and then I realized, hey, WWF is doing some cool stuff with this D-Generation X. Let me see what that's about. So I kind of fell back into wrestling in, like, 1999, just watching a lot and a lot of wrestling and going to a lot and a lot of live shows and even getting my brother hooked on it who had never watched wrestling. I took him to a WWF show in Tampa, Florida. And that was when, I don't know if you're into wrestling, but for anyone that's out there, if you're a wrestling fan, that was when Undertaker's wife, Sarah, had a stalker and it was a big mystery who it was. And the stalker, the stalker was revealed to be WCW wrestler DDP. So it was kind of a big thing. Oh, like, yeah. Oh, that was when he was Biker Taker, right? He wasn't even the Undertaker. Yes. He was like Biker Taker. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm not into it as much yeah. anymore. But like that period you're talking about, again, my brother and I were like heavy into it. We had the uh, the Nintendo 64 game. It was like a WCW uh-huh. Nintendo 64. I forget what it was called. Like WCW Extreme. I don't, I don't remember. what, But that, that was like yeah. we played that shit all the time. Nice. The... Like NWO is what kind of got me into wrestling again. Yeah, because I I yeah. kind of like tail. I, I I was into it in the '80s like everybody else, like Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior. But then and then I kind of stopped watching. I I missed like Ascension of the Rock and Stone Cold. I didn't like see their rise, but definitely mm-hmm. like when they were at the peak, I was all in on like the Rock and Sock connection. And but WCW was like where we were. Like my brother and I were like WCW fans, and we kind of like nice. we cho- that's the side we chose on the Monday Night Wars. Uh, and then eventually it all kind of blended into one. Yeah. But but no, yeah, that, that period is like when I was most into wrestling. I haven't really watched much of the recent. I know the AEW is like really hot right now. Mm-hmm. But the toys of the of those era, like at the time they were like so cool. But when you look back at them, especially compared to like Mattel's. Oh, yeah. WWF toys now. Yeah. It's almost like. It's like night. It's like looking at Toy Biz Marvel Legends. Honestly. Exactly. Like, yeah. I mean, the 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 figures now, like the Elites and the Ultimates and the AEW figures, they're just insane. I mean, they look like small little versions of the actual wrestler. <laughs> but like, I was collecting in like the 2000s. I was collecting the Ruthless Aggression series. I was really getting into those. And it's funny because one thing kind of led to another because it. I was going down to a lot of wrestling shows with my brother. And I would go down to, we would meet in Orlando because I lived in Florida at the time. I lived in Jacksonville, Florida, and he lived in Miami. So we'd meet halfway in Orlando or <laughs> Tampa and we'd go to either a hockey game because they have the Tampa Bay Lightning or we go to like a Orlando Solar Bears game, another hockey game, or we go to a WWE event. And at the time, I remember this distinctly, they had started talking about Star Wars coming back out again. I'm like, what? Star Wars is coming back. <laughs> Episode one? So it like brought me back. I went, I was like totally into like wrestling and stuff. 
I was kind of away from like the whole Star Wars thing. And then they announced that episode one was coming out. They showed that trailer. I was like, this is insane. That guy has a red face, horns on his face, and a double lightsaber? <laughs> what is going on here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Classic example of trailer better than the movie, yeah, right? That's true. <laughs> but like when they when they revealed the trailer, I was a hundred percent into Star Wars at the time. And I remember the day that they uh, announced that figures were going to be going on sale. I woke my brother up. We got up at like five or six in the morning. We went to a Walmart in Orlando off of like Orange Blossom Trail. And uh, I bought a, just a ton of Star Wars merchandise for that episode one. No, but the contact reader, I remember I, I got all those. I got all of the Attack of the Clones figures. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was that's what really brought me back. Because I, like I said, the uh, power of the force seeing the Star Wars stuff come back five years earlier, yeah. like that's what really got me back into, like I said, admitting I'm a toy fan. Mm-hmm. And by the 2000s, I was writing for Toy Fair. So like oh, awesome. I had to be into, I had to be into toys. Yeah, I actually have all of my back issues here somewhere that I used to write. That is so cool, man. Yeah, it was. It, it's kind of like, it's weird too to think about like toy journalism in the age of the internet because there's so many avenues now to like get your toy news. Whereas like back then, it was literally like Toy Fair and Wizard Magazine. Like, those were the only ways you got information about anything. They were the internet before the internet. Dude, I seriously, I think about this all the time. I seriously miss Toy Fair and Wizard so much. Because I worked in a comic book store and, like, I collected a bunch of comic books. But every time we got those magazines in, they were they were the very first thing I read. I loved those magazines so much. I wish they didn't go away. I wish they would come back in some form. But, <laughs> yeah, I, I seriously miss those. Yeah, I mean, it's because the thing about what I loved about working for Toy Fair, and I was just a contributor. I was never in the offices or anything like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I would – that's how I met Larry, honestly. Like mm-hmm. I said in our podcast that this month, next year will be 20 years that I, I met him at a, a Joe Con in Norfolk. That's cool. In, in 2002. Yeah, it was that – talk about being nervous. That was the most nervous I think I've ever been in my life when I had to like <laughs> – because he's – I don't know if you've ever met him in person like at a show or anything. I haven't, no. But he's 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 he can be kind of ornery, you know what I mean? Like he's mm-hmm. he's he's an older guy, doesn't like to be bothered. And yeah. I know because when I when I like bring some friends, I'm like, hey, you want to meet Larry? And then I take him over to his table, and he's like, hey, how are you doing? And then my friend will look at me like, I don't think he likes me very much. No, he's like that with everybody. But like that first time I met him in 2002 at a Joe convention. To your point about GI Joe's, like I don't know like what you were into as a kid when it came to Joe's. If you were like a cartoon guy or a comic guy or both. I mean, I was, I was both, but I loved the comics so much. Like I talking about being sentimental, I still have a couple of like my G.I. Joe comics that are like in tatters, Mm -hmm. but like knowing that I was meeting the guy who not only wrote those comics, but like wrote each and every one of the file cards that basically gave personality to all of my favorite toys. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was that meeting that dude is like. I can see why you're nervous about following him on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) he means a lot. I absolutely loved all of it. I, I was a big cartoon fan, but at the same time, when I was a kid, my parents would let me go to R-rated action movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> like I was going to like Commando and Predator and all the movies that I I probably should not have been going to for the like action violence or whatnot, <laughs> but I was only like 10, 11, 12 years old. So what I kind of thought about the comic books is they were like the R-rated version of the cartoon. Because right. the cartoon was very, very clean. Every time a, a jet would get shot, you'd see the guy in the parachute falling. <laughs> They'd shoot lasers and not bullets. You'd never see someone like get hit and die or anything like that. But in the comic book, 
it was very, very gritty and mm. raw. I remember specifically, there's a comic book called All Fall Down. It was airborne, Destro's on the cover. It was like out in a cabin in the woods. And it was just very like real. And it felt like, it felt more realistic to me. So I absolutely loved the comic book so yeah. much. And it just kind of brought me like both sides of G.I. Joe, the, the softer side with the cartoon and the more realistic side with the comic book. Yeah, exactly. Right. And, and I think what people forget, I think because most folks, I wouldn't say like most, I, wouldn't, I, I don't deal in like real fan or non-real fans, but I think the general public's like idea of G.I. Joe is the cartoon. I think that's yeah. the thing that most people remember. Even Hasbro, like when they're promoting their figures, they're using like clips from the cartoon. Mm -hmm. But I remember like talking about Larry. Larry had nothing to do with the cartoon. Like he was strictly the comics and he created the characters, of course, but like he didn't do anything with the cartoon. And I know that like people would walk up to him at shows in the past and say like, knowing's half the battle. And he'd look at them like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I don't have any idea what you're talking about. Cause like, yeah. that's not me. I didn't, there was no like PSA at the end of every comic right. issue. Before we get any further, let's, let's dig into a little bit. This is breaking news. We're like I said, we're, we're recording this right after the GI Joe live stream. Before we get to like your favorite line of the 2020s, I don't know if this is G.I. Joe classified or not. I know that you had quite a, a, a an affection for that line. Mm -hmm. But what is what is your opinion of this of this line? Because I, I you know, as you can see, I love it. I I do have most of the figures. I had to buy some of them, you know, off eBay because mm -hmm. fucked scalpers. <laughs> but I had to, right? What is your opinion of the G.I. Joe classified line? Because I know like fans and collectors have quite the opinion of that mm -hmm. line. Overall, I absolutely love it. It's my favorite line to collect right now. But at the same time, I get frustrated. I went from very, very excited and happy and just stoked watching that Joe Fest video to kind of disappointed in seeing that two freaking absolutely badass pieces are going to be Target exclusive. Mm -hmm. So I have learned to rely on a network of people. I've made friends both locally here in the Dallas area that I live now and also nationally so that I can look for stuff for them and they can hopefully look for stuff for me. So if I can't personally find it in the store, I'm going to rely on them and say, hey, keep an eye out for me. I really, really want this piece. But overall, I think it's absolutely amazing. I love the line so much. It's what I've dreamed for. It's what I've wanted. Ever since they started coming out with this Star Wars Black Series line, I'm like, oh my gosh, what if they did a G.I. Joe six inch line? What if? How awesome would that be? And now it's here. It's a reality. And I understand a lot of people are upset and angry, but at the same time, it's such an amazing line. I absolutely love it. I, I feel bad for people that have gotten so frustrated that they have to literally blow up the damn chat during these lives. <laughs> I feel bad for the people that yeah. are working for Hasbro. They're just doing their damn jobs. Right. It's not And they're fault. just catching so much shit from people in these chats. I'm like, guys, Jesus, criminy, just lay off these people. Yeah, no, it's it's kind of like the release of Snyder Cut in a way where it's like, yeah. you know, back back before they actually released the Snyder Cut, anytime Warner Brothers said anything, it was like mm -hmm. a thousand replies that said, release the Snyder Cut. And it's the yeah. same thing, like whenever Hasbro does anything, it's like a thousand replies of like, hashtag boycott Hasbro or whatever it is, yeah. you know what I mean? But I mean, there's 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 higher powers behind the whole thing that have set up these deals with Target. So it's a lot of this stuff is way, way, way beyond the pay grade and control of the people that you're seeing on these videos. So take it easy. God, take yeah. it easy on these people. Please. <laughs> they're just 
they're trying to do their jobs and get people excited for the damn product. So, well, and it's just so funny because like I can, I mean, I understand the frustration. I get frustrated, yeah. right? Because again, I've had to pay, you know, a lot of collectors say don't pay scalper prices, but at the same time, if you don't have the network, like you've said, which I think mm-hmm. you mentioned in a recent video, which I really like, you know, thought that, well, that's, that's actually really smart to kind of just like make friends basically and have mm-hmm. friends help each other out because things are more available in other parts of the country than they mm-hmm. are maybe where you live. So, but like with the, I think the, the consistent thing about the classified line is that it can't be found anywhere, but I've yeah. been fortunate enough that like I've walked into a store and I've seen like I, the Viper and the Firefly actually bought in the wild without even having to like negotiate with target employees. It was just like, that's awesome. Sitting there on the, sh- right. Like talking about the toy hunt, like, that's one of those things where it's like, I wish this was on camera because it's like, you see it and you're like, you're looking around like, am I on punked? <laughs> Is it really sitting there? <laughs> and then you grab it and like, oh yeah. And you make sure it's not been figure swapped, right? Because <laughs> yeah. there's always that to, to, to worry about. Yep. But then, you know, at the same time, it's the line that I've never bought in retail other than the two figures I found mm-hmm. in stores. Because everything mm-hmm. else, I either bought it online or paid scalper prices. Yeah. So it's kind of like, you know... What, what do you do? Because, like, I want it to continue, but I think, to your point, the, the company can only do so much without pissing off fans. But if they continually piss off fans because of the distribution, what's their incentive to keep making the product? Because they're, they are listening, because if we've seen anything from the live stream today, they're making the figures look more like their classic 80s counterparts. Oh, yeah. They got rid of all the Nerf guns. They got rid of all, like, the sci-fi elements. Yep. But they now just... The, the main thing people want is... Let me buy it. Because that's the, the crazy thing is like... Availability. We're, I want to give you my... I want to give you Hasbro my money, not some right. jag off on eBay. Right. Let exactly. me give it to you, you know? Yeah, I've been uh, I've been going off on like different live streams and stuff. And I've just... My, my thing is just make more. Just make more. You have the, the key to a money printing machine here. You have the fan base. You have the demand out there. If you make more, the appeal to scalpers will go away. Yeah. They won't clean them out. They won't target their bots to buy 10 at a time when it's supposed to be limited to one. If they make more and make them available, obviously don't overproduce because if you overproduce, there's going to be leftover stock and then they're not going to order more and that's how lines die. But I think they understand the demand is out there. I think if they just did something where they could like have a pre-order and like make as many as were ordered. I mean, it's- The pre-order thing is what like- trips me out is like how can you have a system in which pre-orders sell out right (laughs) yeah they haven't been distributed yet right like if if you use like the comics model which admittedly i used to work at diamond as well that model Mm -hmm. is not great either but like you know when a retailer orders the retailer basically orders a, a certain number of copies of something and then the publisher prints those copies and sends them to the retail right like there's a yeah. final order cutoff date and all that and then the retailers are kind of like basing that on their customers like they know oh my customers will want issue number 17 of this comic book or like detective number seven hundred seventy thousand or whatever let me right. order this x number of copies it should be the same thing and then it's not like they call up diamond and like i would like a thousand copies and diamonds is no <laughs> you can't have a thousand you know what i mean like that's right. what i don't understand is like pre-orders sell out in five seconds like how it's is that crazy. possible anyway yeah. here we are bitching about gi joe even though we're like stop bitching about gi joe on the internet <laughs>
<laughs> well, I just want the line to continue because I love G.I. Joe so much. It was my go-to line in the 80s. I want it to continue. I don't want people to jump ship. Yeah. I don't want people to leave because they can't acquire the product. Right. So, yeah, it's frustrating. I love looking at the damn shelves that I have set up here. But it's, it's also frustrating knowing that people are like, F this line, F Hasbro, F Target, yeah, yeah. F it all. I'm done. I'm like, oh, geez. We're losing people, guys. Yeah, no, we're losing uh, totally it's like the Titanic. <laughs> and I'm I'm playing the violin because I'm I'm still on board, man. I I pre-ordered my Roadblock right before we got on this call. So I did too. <laughs> anyway, so before we wrap, I did, I did want to ask, like, I've seen your collection. You know, you do your videos where you you show off, like, here are my NECAs this week, or here are my Black Series. Mm-hmm. And I know that each collector has that like white whale, that holy grail, that they either want now or. They want it because they never had it when they were a kid. I talked about on a, mm-hmm. the first episode of this podcast that when I was a kid, th- it was the uh, Knight Rider 2000 that talked, that came with a little Michael Knight figure that I wanted so bad mm-hmm. and I never got it. I, now that I could probably afford the crazy prices on eBay, I still I haven't paid for it yet. I, I, it's, I don't want mm-hmm. it that bad. <laughs> I'll, yeah. I'll let it drop down. But what is the one kind of like toy that got away? Uh, probably the flag. Yeah. Speaking of G.I. Joe. Yeah. Aircraft carrier. It's basically when I was a G.I. Joe collector as a kid in the 80s, I would do my chores in my house to to earn a figure. Basically, my mom would buy me a single action figure every week. Occasionally, I would say, I don't want a figure this week, but next week, can I get like a, a small vehicle? And I would get like, I don't know, like a trouble bubble or something. <laughs> but I, I, the only time I got larger or medium to large sized vehicles was for birthdays and Christmas. So the largest vehicle I think I ever got was the Rattler. So I never got any of the giant play sets, never got the G.I. Joe headquarters, never got what's it called? The Defiant, the spaceship one. And of course, I never got the aircraft carrier, the flag. And none of my friends had the flag. It was just too big at the time. And and we never got it. And I I live near a store called Dallas Vintage Toys, and they always get flags in stock. I think they have two or three in stock right now. But at the same time, it is my holiest of grails. I could essentially, if I ever was to acquire a flag, stop collecting. Uh, that would not happen, but I always tell myself <laughs> it would happen because <laughs> I'm always going to collect. Yeah. But it's it's one of those pieces where there is justification where if I was to get this one piece, I would be happy. Yeah. And I and I would not need anything else, and and that would be it. But I just literally do not have room for it at this point. So even if I was, if I had the funds and the availability to get one. I don't have anywhere to put it. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's going to remain that white whale. It's going to remain that holiest of grails. And at some point in my lifetime, I will acquire a flag. And that's an excellent. I, I never thought of it that way because I think that's, I think it's with me with the Knight Rider. Mm-hmm. It's not because the, the flag, even if you go to a venture store, I'm sure it's like the prices are ridiculous to buy a, like yeah. a in box flag. That's it's not even min condition, right? Like just, a, a flag in by even a flag loose i'm sure is like yeah. a hefty couple thousand dollars right i think to your point like i feel like if i did end up ever dropping 250 or whatever on ebay for for that the thing that i always wanted when i was a kid mm-hmm. it's that sense of like oh i'm complete now right yeah and that's kind of why i'm like i put it off i don't actually go and look for it because i know that that's the one that's the it'll always be it's like the white whale it's moby dick for those of you who are literary mm-hmm. it's the thing that you'll never attain and I think that I kind of like that until I do. I'd like to your point, maybe on my on my deathbed, I'll be like, oh, by the way, 
hit purchase on eBay for me. Because <laughs> I need to have that in my possession before I expire. <laughs> I mean, at the same time, though, I kind of don't want to get one. Because at, at that point, I'm like, then the it's ended. Yeah. The, this, the search, the quest has ended. And I don't want the quest to end. I right. want it to, to continue. So one part of me wants to get that and just be content. And then the other part of me was like, I don't want this ride to end. Exactly. So right. That's why you wait till you do it on your deathbed. Exactly. <laughs> there you go. That's that's the that's the pack we'll sign right now. On our deathbed, before we die, just for Cincy, give him the flag, and for me, it's the the Night Rider two thousand. Uh, well, I didn't. There was a couple things I wanted to get into, but I don't want to spend any more of your time. Maybe you'll come back on the podcast, and we can Absolutely. talk more, particularly about like hot toys and things like that, because. I've recently fallen down the hot toy. I saw you just got Mando. Let me move a little bit. I have my oh, deluxe Mando and my little Mandalorian themed detail. I also want to talk to you about displays because the other thing that I, I can't figure out is like, I don't have the number of detolfs that most collectors do. I To your point, I have to like decide what I'm going to cycle in and out. Mm-hmm. And I just wonder what like your process is because I see you kind of cycle like themes of what you display and and some things you, you you take and some things you take down. So maybe we'll talk all about this on another episode of okay. Shelf Conscious. But uh, definitely. Thank you so much for, for being on the show. Tell our viewers and listeners how they can find you on the internet. You can find me pretty much anywhere at Cincy Nerd. You can find me at uh, youtube.com slash Cincy Nerd, Instagram, Cincy Nerd, Twitter, Cincy Nerd, Facebook, Cincy Nerd. If you really want to uh, do something really cool, you could join a group that I made on Facebook called The Nerd Bar. It's Facebook dot com slash groups slash the nerd bar it's where we basically just uh share pictures of our halls and talk about stuff that's coming out and talk about if we're excited about it and stuff like that so it's just a group of dudes that are into the same thing sharing the passion for the uh hobby awesome thanks so much thanks man i appreciate it thanks once again to cincy nerd for being on the show our theme song is recorded by the one and only jamie noguchi you can follow me on twitter at the real child the underscore real underscore child and follow the podcast at ShelfConNOC. Also go to HardKnockMedia.com to find us in all of the podcasts in the Hard Knock family. Subscribe on YouTube.com slash The Nerds of Color for the video and Apple Podcasts for the podcast. Give us a rating and a review if you do. That'll help people find the podcast. Appreciate all the support. And always remember, Shelf Conscious is where we come collect. Mm-hmm.